We've had to deal with that for a long time. If we grew up going to public school, and uh, hearing about millions of years, and then we come to grips with the with the scriptures. And as he said, as a Totally different starting point. That's what we want to deal with today. The battle for truth continues. And as we see the days in which we live, we're taken to the word of God that predicted where we're living right now. Paul said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And that's happened. We're living in the most perilous times that we've ever seen. And it's much more dangerous because of all of the technologies that man has developed which could have been good technologies for the betterment of man, but we've taken those same things and prepare to use them against man, man against man. This is why truth is so important and why the starting point is so important for us today. Genesis chapter 7 speaks about Noah obeying God. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. Do you believe this to be true? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have this morning to open our minds and our hearts, Lord God, to your word. And certainly not to do so blindly, but to do so, Lord God, with the wisdom that you've given us, to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is of your spirit and what is not. And we are grateful and thankful, Lord, for the fact that we today have been given such great and wondrous hope because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
And we are blessed, Lord God, to be able to speak today about these issues. Because unless we do, who will? We want to be right with you, Lord, and so fill us with your spirit. We might not only present your word, but also receive it according to your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned in the last uh, service that uh, it is probably quite possible that none of us at any time in, in, in the past in going to some other church or being a part of another church had you ever heard a sermon or a message on dinosaurs. And so I asked them, how many of you had? Nobody raised their hand. Not one. So welcome to the study of science in the Bible. Welcome to a study of dinosaurs today. Why? Well, did God create them or not? We know that they existed. So we need to know why and when and how. I was listening recently to, recently to a news item on the radio that, that caught my attention. Uh, by the way, I was listening to KTEP, and, and uh, they, they have NPR as their news source, and and I was only, re- you know, listening to it because I love to listen to classical music sometimes on the, on the radio uh, in the afternoon. And so as I'm driving, I, I, you know, the news came on. And, and one of the first items that was mentioned was, uh, you know, the, this news anchor uh, speaking as if, if this was the greatest scientist, scientific discovery she had ever heard. But she said, scientists now believe that a number of dinosaurs hunted at night. And I wanted to pull my car off to the side of the road and speak into the radio and say, Hey, didn't you see Jurassic Park? They all, they all hunted at night. <laughs> and in the day, and in the afternoon, and whenever. What's so big about that? You know, it's just amazing, you know, what you hear about dinosaurs nowadays. And we know that we hear about it from the standpoint of evolutionary thought. An evolutionary philosophy. And evolutionary philosophy and thought is usually atheistic, of course. And therefore, uh, I suppose NPR is always looking for the latest archaeological discovery to add one more log on the fire under God and the Bible. So it's a great thing, you know, if they say, oh, you know, the, the scientists discovered that uh, dinosaurs hunted at night. You would too if you were hungry. But we've been dealing with the issue of dinosaurs on and off now for a few weeks. And, and while I'm hoping that we can get through these studies uh, uh, and on with the book of uh, Genesis so that we might finish this before the rapture of the church, I, I, I do find it imperative that we truly consider all things from a biblical perspective. You see, the question that dominates dinosaur debate between evolutionists and creationists is this question. Do dinosaurs fit into real history? Now, you'll understand that question more in just a moment. But again, listen to the question. Do dinosaurs fit into real history? Now, the reason that uh, this is such a a challenge for Bible-believing, Christ-following creationists, in other words, those who believe that God created uh, the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days, uh, it's a challenge uh, uh, for us uh, because it has to be what, what most people have been taught. Uh, in public governmental schools. The fact that, uh, you know, they, 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 they want to prove that dinosaurs, uh, 
itself or themselves prove evolution. So the question is, do dinosaurs prove evolution? I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, this is one of the tools of evolutionists to confound the minds of our children. Do dinosaurs prove evolution? Now, unfortunately, there is a strong connection between evolution and dinosaurs. And because of this, we have to learn how to answer the questions. Certainly, we have to answer a lot of questions about dinosaurs, but, but these in particular. Where do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? Where are they now? Did their uniqueness, in other words, their body shape and their mass, as we know they're quite different animals than exist today, but did their uniqueness cause their extinction? Extinction. And when? When? When did they exist? And when did they cease to exist as we would know them today? And again, we need to think from a biblical perspective. Because if the Bible is God's word, then every part of it has to be and should be accurate. Do you believe that? I hope you do. That if the Bible is God's word, then every part of it has to be accurate. If the Bible is God's word, then every part of it has should be accurate. Because if it isn't accurate, then why should we believe any of it? Now, I want, to, I want you to remember what the Apostle Paul, or I should say the Apostle Peter, uh, wrote in his letter, 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 15. When he said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, set the Lord God apart in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer. Now, giving an answer is not only just about salvation. It isn't just about the doctrines of the scriptures. It's about all the scriptures. It's about everything written from Genesis to Revelation. We need to be able to give answers to people, especially in the days and times in which we live, because there is this tremendous gulf between the world and the secular mindset and the church and the and the spiritual mindset. Tremendous gulf. So... We need to give an answer. We need to be ready, it says, to give an answer. Now, the Lord did not leave out even scientific issues from his word that we need to be ready to give answers to. For example, the Lord God made specific biological statements in Genesis chapter 1. He made specific biological statements, scientific statements in Genesis chapter 1. I want you to turn there because these statements stand to this day. For example, Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 12. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. There is that phrase you're going to see and hear a lot here in the next few verses. After his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. Notice again. And the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. After his kind. And then in Genesis 1, verse 21, it says God created great whales, and these were actually great monsters, or uh, dragons as it were, or or just large uh, beasts and animals. We'll talk about this another time. We've already talked about it before. 
But uh, God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And then when you jump down to verse 24, it says in verse 25, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So this phrase after his kind is significant because it points to how each kind is to reproduce. That's the whole point here. After his kind, this is how you reproduce. No no mixing here. God was very specific. This is a biological statement. And it makes more sense than the evolutionary idea that dinosaurs, which are of one kind, would over millions of years become birds, which is another entirely different kind. But that's what Jurassic Park, the movie, wanted to get across to us. Remember when the paleontologists and, and archaeologists go out and they're out there in, in, in Montana or wherever it was, and they're, you know, they found the bones of the Velociraptor and they took pictures of it, you know, and, and, and all. And, and he was pointing out to everybody that was listening that, you know, look at the bone structure because look, isn't that interesting? Just like the birds. And then after all of the calamity and the chaos that was going on because the animals began to turn on the people and whatnot, at the very end of the movie, as they're flying out of this island, finally safe in in the helicopter, he looks out and he sees the pelicans flying. The idea was, again, gee, those dinosaurs would eventually become birds. May I tell you what that is? That's called a fairy tale. It's much more sensible to believe what God said. When he created animals, he created them after their kind so that they would reproduce the same way all the time. Yes, there might be variations. I'm going to talk later about dogs. Most of you love dogs, I think. Some of you may, who, don't, who don't love dogs, you might like cats. You know, all due respect to you. But dogs? You could have a chihuahua and a great dame. That's quite a couple. And yet they're both still dogs. What variation God created. But they're still of the same kind, you see. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll wait till later about that. But here's a question that I want you to think about. Now, last night I asked this question. Somebody's trying to raise their hand. I said, I don't want to, I don't want to single you out now. So don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. Just think about the question. Okay, you ready? All right, just come along with me. Make an old man feel happy that you're going to play along with me, all right? Here's a question that I want you to think about, so don't answer it out loud. How many of you can name a prehistoric animal? Don't raise your hand. Just just think about the question. How many of you can name a prehistoric animal? Now, think about the question, not the animal. How many of you can name a prehistoric animal? You see, the key word in that question is prehistoric. I know what was in your mind. T-Rex. 
Triceratops, Brachiosaurus, Brontosaurus, Allosaurus, Stegosaurus, or whatever. No. Think about the question. The key word is prehistoric. Doesn't that word mean before history? So, when did history begin? So that's a question we have to deal with. When did history begin? Remember, let's think from a biblical perspective. Ready? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's the beginning of history. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. History begins. Because there was nothing before that except God. Now, before we move on, let's consider what the seven C's of history are and see how those seven C's fit into the biblical perspective. The seven C's of history are creation. It all began with creation. And then came corruption. Now, first service failed miserably on this test. Are you ready? When did corruption begin? What chapter of Genesis? How many of you say three? Okay, you were right. Okay. Sorry about everybody else. Chapter three. Don't forget that because I'm going to ask the question again later. I don't want you to fail that test then. So, creation and then corruption came in chapter 3. Sin. And then out of the sin, after all these years, came this catastrophe. What was the catastrophe? The fact that God had to judge sin because man had completely turned his back on God, except for those eight people that God told to go into the ark. Noah and his family. And God was going to bring... Destruct, uh, bring judgment to the whole world. And then the fourth C is confusion. After everything settled down and man began to multiply again and, and, the, and, and the world began to uh, fill up again with, with men, men rather than trusting in the God who had judged the world as he did, forgot about all of that, and they began to think of themselves as God to the extent that they now, uh, you, know, you know, had this one common language and, and they were going to build this tower all the way up into heaven and, and God brought confusion on them. So confusion now. But a lot of the confusion, it wasn't so much because of what God did. It was confusion because they were not trusting in God anymore. And then the next C is, is the fact that over so many years, even though the Lord had chosen a people to bring his truth to, to bring that seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 through, after all of those years would come Christ, Christ, the fifth C of history. And then immediately after would come the cross. The importance of the cross in history. That's the turning point of all history. It's the cross. And then lastly, the consummation, which of course is what takes us into the future. What's yet to come. So the seven seas of history take us from the very beginning of history through the present 
and into the future. And there are certainly many other events that we could add, but these are some of the major events of history. And we are able then to put them on a timeline from the beginning, which was about 6,000 years ago, according to the scriptures, up to the present, and then on even into the future, which is the consummation of the ages, the return of Jesus Christ. And thinking from a biblical perspective means that everything that we teach in Judeo-Christianity goes back to this timeline of history. And the point of this is to show people that the Bible is a history book. And that everything connects to real history. So the question is, do dinosaurs fit into real history? Well, if all the creatures were created on the sixth day, the same day on which man was created, then they do fit into real history. And therefore, the dinosaur also fits into real history. Now, the problem is that in the church today, a large percentage of pastors and leaders in a a number of denominations, and consequently their congregants, consider creation to be a secondary doctrinal issue, not a primary issue. For instance, and I use this only as an example, this is not uh, an attack of uh, promise keepers and all, for those of you who know what promise keepers is, but uh, it's just uh, you get an understanding. This is a good example of what I'm, I'm trying to get across. A supporter of the ministry answers in Genesis, somebody who supports uh, Ken Ham's ministry, which is a creation ministry. Uh, he wrote to the founder and the president of promise keepers, And he asked him about promise keepers stand on the creation issue. And the response is typical of much of the church's attitude to the issue. And here's the response, and I quote, (laughs) You need to know that the ministry of, of promise keepers takes no stand on issues like this. In fact, we specifically try to avoid such debates. Our efforts are designed to bring men together based on the historically essential doctrines of Orthodox Christianity as represented by our statement of faith or to focus on things that unite the body of Christ instead of those which tend to divide it. Since different churches and individual Christians hold varying views about creation, it is one of those things we believe falls under the category of secondary doctrines, just as we do such things as spiritual gifts, eternal security, the rapture, etc. In short, when it comes to subjects like creation, we believe Christians need to extend grace to each other, as summed up in the statement, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. End quote. Now, that sounds like a, you know, obviously well thought out statement, but my question is this. Is creation just one of those secondary doctrines like spiritual gifts or eternal security or the rapture, which, by the way, I think are very primary issues, all of them. (laughs) Well, let me put it this way. The doctrine of creation itself, that God is the creator, is a primary doctrine, not a secondary issue. It is primary. After all, if God is not creator and the first verse of the Bible is not true, then neither is the rest of the Bible. Other than the doctrine of God himself, creation would be the most important doctrine for everything else in Christianity depends on this being true. 
Genesis chapters 1 through 11 have to be true or else the rest of the Bible cannot be trusted. So, and I know that I've touched upon this a number of times in our study of the book of Genesis, but did dinosaurs exist? Of course they did. But let me ask this question in a different way. Did dinosaurs exist or were they just a ploy of Satan? And you know what I mean by that? There are those people today in the church who, who take another position. They say, well, you know, dinosaurs may have existed, but God didn't create them. They, they take the, the theory that we talked about a long time ago, about a year ago. We talked about this theory of, of the gap theory of, of, of a, a certain amount of, uh, an undetermined amount of time between Genesis 1 verse 1 and, and Genesis 1 verse 2. Now remember, in the beginning, the verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the second verse says, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. So they say now there has to be a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And it is in this gap they believe that Lucifer uh, in eternity past was cast out of heaven uh, with his uh, one-third of, of, of the fallen angels. Uh, and, and then they were cast down into this nothingness, into this void that was on the earth. And then Satan took control of all the earth. But see, there's a problem with that. If Satan did that, and then he decided that he wanted to be as much a creator as God was, that he was going to create animals like, you know, there's a little bit of problem with the timeline here. You have to have room for millions of years for this to happen within two verses. But but God didn't write those two verses that way. God wrote so that everything was put together very well. So verse 1, verse 2, you know, as we, as we taught this back in Genesis chapter 1, the void was only to say that when God created all things in verse 1, he, he created the raw materials, and then he began to put everything into place in the next six days. Okay, with that in mind then, where's Satan in all of that? I don't see Satan mentioned here. You have to open up verses 1 and 2, tear those two verses, and stick all this stuff in there. And then say, well, you know, Satan was trying to mimic God and so he created dinosaurs. Please. So, with that in mind, is it a ploy of Satan? Of course not. Because we know that they did exist. Dinosaurs did exist. We have their bones. We have some idea of how they may have looked. We have museums, whether you believe in the the evolution thing or not, you know, which most of the museums that have bones, uh, you know, they're, they're evolutionists, but, you know, whether you believe all what they say, the fact of the matter is they got the bones, and they put them all together. Now, what they do after that, when they, you know, they try to recreate what might have been on the outside, and the covering, and what it looked like, and the colors, and all of that, that's open for debate. But the bones are there. We have the bones. And we've already answered the question as to when they were created. When were they created? From the biblical perspective, on day six, the same day that man was created. What does that tell us? That that tells us that if dinosaurs were created on the sixth day, then they lived at the same time as man. And that really freaks people out. 
Because some people say it's hard to believe that dinosaurs and men existed all at the same time. Because they have this idea that because of the size and, and the apparent viciousness of many a dinosaur, like T-Rex and Velociraptor, that, you know, due to their large and sharp teeth, you know, and they look pretty, pretty scary. Remember the pictures I showed a few weeks ago? <laughs> you know, and then you saw that little video and that, and the T-Rex from the movie came out, you know, and so we think, how could men have lived during that time? Have these people who who fear that, have they forgotten that lions and tigers and bears, oh my, were also around? Have they forgotten that? And they had their sharp teeth back then too. But you see, when God created all things, He created it all for good. And He said, it's all good. And it was a perfect environment. And everything was created for God's pleasure. And the animals were, were given to, to Adam to name. And he named all the animals. Oh, but it might, it might make some wonder whether Adam and Eve were in danger of dinosaurs. You know, they saw one and they said, oh my, what big teeth you have. Did, did Adam name the dinosaurs? Yeah, but he didn't name them Dinosaurs. That we know because the word dinosaur doesn't appear until 1841. And whatever is mentioned in the scriptures about large animals and beasts and all, usually use the word tanim, which is, which is the word that we see translated as dragon in the scriptures. And we'll talk about that in another time. But I want, you, I want you to see a few places where it's mentioned in Isaiah 27 verse 1. Another name is also used, Leviathan. There's two other. Uh, there's another name: Leviathan, Behemoth, and Dragons. Uh, and we don't have time to go into each detail. But in that day, the Lord, with His sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and He shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And then in Isaiah 43:20. And by the way, there's a dragon in the sea, and there's a dragon on the land. Ah. Look at verse 20 of Isaiah 43. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owl, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. So there were dragons in the sea and dragons on land. Jeremiah 14, verse 6. And by the way, these are prophets. And they're talking about dragons as if they were even there then. Notice, and the wild asses did stand in the high places. They, they snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. Even the psalmist in Psalm 74 verse 13 says, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. So there are names that are used in the scriptures. We'll find one later called Behemoth. We'll talk about that later. But So there were names mentioned of very mysterious, very large kind of animals. And the question is, what did they eat? Well, they didn't eat Adam and Eve, okay? They didn't eat Adam and Eve. They ate what God told them to eat. And he told them in first in the first chapter again, verse 30 of Genesis, to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. God made it clear what they were all to eat. The dinosaur never looked at, at Adam and said, hmm. No. As God created all the animals, if you want to eat, I've given you a tremendous garden. He says, I give you the green herb for meat. And by the way, meat in the, in the King James means food. I've given you green herb for meat, and it was so. 
And so they were allowed to eat salads. And lots of salad. And that's what they ate to survive. And God made it rich for them to, you know, to, to have this kind of food. And all the animals ate it. And you might say, well, why then do they have such big teeth? Well, they had such big teeth because, you see, you know, when we eat, uh, you know, we're, we're not looking at a rubber tree to try to go eat that for lunch today, are we? No, but we might buy a salad. And, you know, the salad, we take the lettuce and we tear it up and, you know, we use the teeth that we have. But what about those bigger animals? You know, there, there's in every large jungle and, you know, forest and all, there's trees that need a little bit of more, you know, force to take those down. And, and of course, that's what the larger animals would eat. They had the teeth to take those bigger, you know. Why put a little plate of salad in front of a brontosaurus? I mean, come on, you know. You understand the point. So we just have to think. Wisdom should, should help us in all of this, you see. But now the problem. History moves on. History moves on from creation to corruption. And from corruption into a cursed world. And things change drastically. And turn to chapter 9 of Genesis. And notice what those changes did. (laughs) And by the way, don't blame the changes on the animals. Blame the changes on man. Notice what happened. Now, this is after uh, Genesis 9. The flood is receding. God is speaking to Noah and his family. And he says, God bless Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. In other words, go and start anew. Start afresh. Replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Now, you don't have to eat salad anymore. Now everything that moves can be food for you. Now understand that this is going to lead to some sense of an understanding of the sacrificial system that will come soon. But the point is, no longer are they going to eat just green herbs. They're going to eat animals. What does that do to the animal? God, at the very same time, because of those animals that were in the ark and are, are, are called out, about to go and spread out into the, all the earth. And when we talk about flood geology, we're going to show you how that happened. But when, but when it did happen, the Lord was not only telling man what he was going to do and what was the animal's uh, attitude going to be uh, toward them, which was they were going to fear man now. Well, shouldn't they fear man Notice what happened before the flood. Man was killing each other. Man was jealous. Man was envious. Man was hateful. Man was was, was, uh, uh, vicious with one another. It it talks so much about that viciousness of man in, in, in those days from the time of Cain on. And man had forgotten God and the importance of loving one another and serving one another. That a whole people had to be destroyed. But remember, Noah and his sons, as righteous as Noah was, then his sons came along. And then they would give birth to more people. And what? They were all still born under the curse of sin. So sin was only going to be spreading out as well. Unless they trusted God and were taught to trust God. But the animals would develop instincts now. New instincts. 
Certainly the smaller animals, the sheep and all, were, would be told, those are the animals that you use for sacrifice and whatnot. But what about the bigger animals? Now the teeth meant something different. And now man had to protect themselves. Because even though the animals fear, you see, when the animals respond to man, they're still in fear of man. Didn't we, didn't we come up with things like gunpowder and bullets and, you know, every other way to kill animals too? That's why it's amazing when you were a kid in the 60s, if you were, there's only a few of us here, but when you were kids in the 60s and you saw Godzilla and Reptilicus and all of that, you're going, ah! and a whole city would be running from this big giant, you know, well, that's in Japan, they're not here, but they'd be running, <laughs> ah, you know, they'd be running. And then we go, then we saw, you know, they'd be saying things like, watch it, you know, and, uh, and all of that. So, yeah. <laughs> Those animals didn't fear man, but that's in the movies, you know, that's not, that's not now. That's what happened with the corruption of man. So we get back to the ark and we ask the question, let's answer it now. Could dinosaurs fit into the ark? The answer is, of course it could. But we have to understand how and why. First of all, we have to answer the question, was every species on the ark? And the answer for that is no. Not every species was on the ark. And you might say, well, isn't that crazy? No, no, it's not. Because it should be obvious that the created kind is a much more broad category than the modern term of classification species. As we've mentioned before, the ark was large enough to carry upwards of about 16,000 animals, assuming that they required about the same floor space. And, And so the idea from our text would let us know that the animals were to be gathered for reproduction. Uh, Go back to Genesis 7 in verses 1 through 3. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy houses, all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take thee to thee by sevens, the male and his female. Of course, that that averaged out to what? Fourteen, right? Because there were seven, but they were to be two by two, so there were fourteen. And we'll talk about that later. Why? Okay. Uh, The male and his female, the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, that would have been the dinosaurs as well. A fowls of the, the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive. There's the reason. To keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. Now, wisdom would dictate that young and smaller animals of each kind would have been sufficient for this. And most animals, after a certain amount of years, would be able to reproduce, even in a smaller form, even though they, they would have a greater growth spurt later. As a matter of fact, somebody was telling me today that if you take reptiles even today... That they, if they were allowed in a certain environment to grow, they would keep growing. Because that's the nature of that kind of animal. And most of us try to link, you know, the, the dinosaurs to some kind of a reptile type uh, creature, whatever. But anyway, so you understand the point. They could keep growing. But what's interesting about dinosaurs and their size being a, a problem and in fitting into the ark, it, first of all, think, why would, why would Noah want to go get a, a huge, you know, Brachiosaurus or Brontosaurus, the one with a long neck and four legs, you know, yeah, we'll get, you, get the, you get the small one, right? But here's the thing. What's interesting about dinosaurs and their size being a problem in fitting into the ark is that the largest dinosaur eggs that have been discovered are about the size of an American football. Okay? That's about the size of the largest egg. Now, the reason of that is we would think larger animals, larger eggs, Right? Okay, so if you think that, you know, a, a, a brontosaur has to have an egg this size, what's the problem? 
The problem is that if you have an egg this size, you have to consider the thickness then of the shell. When you think of the thickness of the shell of a larger egg, think about the animal that has to work its way out of the egg. It wouldn't be able to. It's got a limitation. So the smaller the egg, of course, the easier for the animal to come out of the egg. God is pretty wise. So even a large animal the size of a T-Rex still had an egg about this size. When it was born, it didn't just pop out of the egg and then all of a sudden it's 20 feet long. No, it's a little animal. And in a certain amount of time, it'll grow to a certain point, about the size of a man. But we would have to think that even, even let's say when we look at little puppies born, little things, you know, the little things. And about a year later, they can reproduce. Even though they're still a little smaller than they would normally be full size. They can still reproduce. So this, this is the wisdom that God has built into the animals that he created. So uh, it means that even the largest dinosaur, dinosaurs weren't born large, but would have had this massive growth spurt at some point in time after a few years. And besides, the average size of dinosaurs would be about the size of a normal sheep. That's the average size, actually. So that's an interesting thing, isn't it? So we're not looking at huge animals going into the ark. Didn't have to do that. God, remember, God works by his wisdom. So remember that Noah would not have had to find two chihuahuas, two great Danes, two German shepherds, and so on. All he needed was two of the dog kind. And as I said before, a little chihuahua right over here and a big great Dane over here. It's, it is a kind of a, an odd couple. But they're still dogs. And if God had wanted to, he would have brought those two together to put into the ark. And the reason is because God built those animals with a DNA that carries with it all of the varieties that dogs that we see now have. Again, the wisdom of God. So, question. Could dinosaurs fit, in, dinosaurs fit into the ark? Sure, they could. Now, did dinosaurs live recently? Because we're talking about, you know, 6,000 years ago was creation. About 4,300 years ago, uh, the flood happened. So, did dinosaurs come off the ark and then what happened to them? Did they live recently, though? That's the question. Well, let's go back in time to uh, the time of Job and consider the words of the Lord to Job. So turn to Job 40. If you want to find Job in your Bibles, it's right before the book of Psalms. You open your Bible about the midway through. And if you find Psalms, it's a book right before Psalms. And Job 40, so it's near the end of the book of Job. While you're turning there, understand that Job, uh, the book of Job is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. Not the book of Genesis, but the book of Job. Because it talks about a time that, that was around or before the uh, patriarchs. So Job lived at a time that... Uh, uh, may very well have seen dinosaurs. And the reason is because of what God tells him in Job 40, verse 15. He says, Behold now, behemoth! If I were to tell you, Behold now, so-and-so's coming through the door, what would you do? You'd all turn back and look. Don't look, because nobody's coming through the door. But if I told you that, you would say, Well, let's look and see who it is. Behold now, behemoth! He's telling him, Look! Behemoth! which I made with thee, 
That's a very interesting statement. What does that remind us of? It reminds me of the sixth day of creation. The animals were created in the same day that man was created. And God tells him, Behold now, behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins. And his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. Wow! The tail is like a cedar. That's a big tree. Big, thick tree. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. That just tells me one thing. Satan didn't create the dinosaur. He's the chief way or the chief of the ways of God. Isn't that interesting? (coughs) Back in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 1, I had mentioned that God created whales. The word whales is not the right word for there, but, but the important thing is that the word created is there. God created whales. But it says the word created is the same word barach, which means out of nothing. He created those animals not out of the dust of the ground, but he created them out of nothing. Interesting. All right. Anyway, go on. Uh, he that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees and the covert of the reeds and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river, meaning he's a pretty big animal, and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes, his nose pierceth through snares. Well, anyway, he's talking about behemoth, this large, large animal. And some have thought that this behemoth was was either a large elephant or a hippopotamus. And some even, some modern translations don't, don't just want to put, you know, what it really was because it, we really don't know. I mean, behemoth was, was, was really a name of a large, large creature. And the description of the tail kind of gives us an idea that it may have been, if not uh, a, a very large dinosaur, it's certainly a dinosaur of great, great size. But I mention this because you cannot substitute elephant or hippopotamus here. Why? Because have you ever seen the tail of an elephant? It's not very big. It's about this long. About this, you know. Have you ever seen the tail of a hippopotamus? I'm not telling you to go and look for tails of animals here, you know. I didn't even want to show one up here for you, you know, because it looked kind of weird. you know. But anyway... Uh, but but it's not you know it's it you know the, the the hippopotamus has a flap actually that's that acts as his tail, so it's just a flap that's about this long. It's not a tail like a cedar, because even if it was a small cedar, it was still big <laughs> in comparison to the elephant or the hippopotamus tail. So all you have to do is look at the tails. But you see, I bring this up because man has been ingrained with evolutionary ideas for way too long. I haven't even touched upon the dragon legends that that most ancient cultures have either written or passed on orally. As a matter of fact, uh, I have a video about that. It's 11 minutes long, so it's too long for today. But but it's it's an interesting thing because it takes us back to all these cultures that talk about dragons. And they look very similar to dinosaurs, don't they? The only thing is, the legend part is that they breathe fire and they have wings. 
So that's the legend part of it. But did they exist? God says they did, because that's what he calls them. Well, with the time remaining, let me bring up some things that you may not hear too often in the regular newspaper. You have to really dig for this stuff. But Fran Barnes, a recognized authority on rock art of the American Southwest, in her book Messages on Stone, has written, and this is not a Christian writer, but she's just a person who is was very familiar with the, the rock art of the Native American. She wrote this in her book, Messages on Stone. She said, there is a petroglyph in Natural Bridges uh, National Monument, which is in Utah, that bears a striking resemblance to a dinosaur, specifically a brontosaurus with a long tail and neck, small head and all. And that's what she wrote in that book. Now, I'm going to show you that picture in just a moment. But let's look at some other things. 1996, unfossilized dinosaur bones are found in Alaska. Unfossilized. They hadn't become they hadn't become rock hard yet. They thought at first that they were bison's uh, bison bones, but they weren't. Once they did all the examination, there was a dinosaur bone, but it was unfossilized. September 1997, red blood cells are found inside unfossilized T-Rex bones. There is a Dr. Schweitzer, not the doctor that was in Africa many, many years ago, but a woman, Dr. Schweitzer, who was the one who is is doing all of the research on these things. She's an evolutionist, but she's trying to figure out what's going on here that they found red blood cells in unfossilized T-Rex bones. And when the bones were brought to the Montana State University lab, it was noticed that some parts deep inside the long bone of the leg had not completely fossilized. Now, see what's crazy to the, to the evolutionist is, wait a minute. These, is, these things are supposed to be millions of years old. But even a million years and they should have fossilized. What does that tell you? These bones aren't even a million years old. If they have unfossilized material. March 2005, an article was written that talks about the soft tissue that was found in T-Rex bones. And the find was called, they call this the Squishosaurus. Because what they found still had, still had that squishy property to it. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. They applied some, some, some liquid to it to, you know, to see what would happen to it. And when they touched it and they, they played with it, it stretched and fell back into place. It just, it, it just came back into its normal shape. Didn't fall apart. It was inside of a dinosaur bone. Bet you haven't heard about that. Evolutionists go crazy when these things come out and they don't, you know, they're trying to figure it out themselves. Creationists will tell you what it is. Bones aren't that old. Okay, let's see some of these things. So I got I got to wrap this up. So we gotta, I got to show you the pictures. So, all right, everybody remembers this, right? The T Rex uh, skull, about two feet long, about this big. I, I bring this up only because the next slide is is a slide of another animal that has some teeth in, and and they look pretty vicious, the teeth. But this is a modern animal called the fruit bat. Doesn't eat meat at all. Just eats fruit. But it has those kind of teeth. So you see, teeth don't really tell us anything. You know, people get scared because of the, the size of teeth. Well, these have some pretty vicious-looking teeth, but 
it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a carnivore. Next slide. All right. Uh, I think this is called a stegosaurus. Now, this particular dinosaur is, uh, this picture of it is really, a, a, it's called a bas relief that was in Angkor, in a temple in Angkor, Cambodia from the 11th century. 11th century. And they got the shape better than, than the scientists who have been trying to figure out how this animal was supposed to look. And, and only 30 years ago did they finally come up with it. But this was from 11th, the 11th century. So 1200 A.D., uh, the temple. They got uh, the size and the shape, you know, the one with the protruding little bones that were coming out of it. Next slide. Uh, these are, uh, I got three of them. They're, they're, um, they're called Ica stones from Peru. They're Peruvian burial stones. And uh, these uh, were found, uh, actually uh, were considered to be carved back in the 14th and 15th century A.D., that's an Allosaurus on the left. I should. That's an Allosaurus there. That's a man right here, being eaten by some kind of a massive, uh, uh, vicious, uh, terrorizing turtle. I think. <laughs> some kind of animal there. But this is uh, this is a stone that was buried with you know people that died. It was a burial stone. Next slide. Uh, another stone. This is uh, what is called a Diplodocus, which is a four-footed dinosaur. So it would be a large dinosaur with a long neck, notice, and the head being smaller really than all the body. And that's one of the men there and some other flying creatures around him. 14th, 15th century A.D. Next slide. You all recognize that animal? What is it? Triceratops. Notice the three horns. And look, there's a man riding who's smoking a big pipe. <laughs> Somebody should give him a ticket for that. You know? That's called texting in those days. Smoke texting. Uh, anyway, some people, some cre- uh, evolutionists say, no, these are these are fake. No, they've tested them. They come from those dates. Uh, there's a way of, of knowing how these each of these marks uh, carry with it. There's, there's a certain word that they, they use in, in, in authenticating them. They, these are all authentic uh, Ica stones from Peru. Next slide. Well, this is the hardest one to see, but uh, here's the head of that uh, brontosaur that uh, Dr. Barnes talked about. And there's the neck, and here's the body. You can't see the feet, so it's not the best picture of it. But it was highlighted better on the next slide. And, and so it's, it's, it's just given this highlight so we can see it a little clearer. There's the head. It looks like it has a smile, too. Right there. Uh, and there's the neck, the body, the four legs, the diplodocus, I believe, is, and then the long tail. Utah. Okay. Next slide. Here's the uh, tissue that was found, the red blood cell tissues. You notice right here the arrows here, here, here. Those are the uh, spongy materials that were uh, stretched and fell 
you know, just retracted back into its original shape. That's not fossil. It's red blood cell. Any more? I think we're done. Okay. (laughs) Why has all this been important? Here's the question. It's already time to go, but you're going to have to listen to me for about five more minutes. Why is all of this important? Why have I taken this time to go through all of this? I want you to take two of the C's of history that we mentioned earlier. I want you to take the C of Christ and the C of the cross. Christ and the cross. The scriptures clearly teach the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a literal resurrection. Next Sunday we're going to be celebrating celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ in here. It was a literal resurrection. So my question to you is, do you believe this? Do you believe there was a Jesus? Do you believe that He is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died on the cross for our sins? Do you believe that He rose again from the dead? Well... You see, the world says that Jesus was just a man. Sadly enough, some people even in the church believe he was just a man. The world says that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Sad thing is that there's some people even in churches today that don't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. What is our answer going to be? You see why this is important? People in the world need to be taught that the reason Jesus died was because death was the penalty for sin. And that's all that's been happening. Since we can understand recorded history, as it were. But our starting point is Genesis 1 verse 1. And from that point to where we are today, we have seen where man has fallen, where sin has become... The, the, the main reason for the corruption that is taking place and the curse that was given for the killings that man does toward man and the hatred and all of the vengeance and, and, and all that man does toward each other and then what they do with God. But it is the reason why Christians can't believe in, a, in millions of years of history and add it to the Bible. Because Jesus died To bring an end to to sin and death. And that was recorded to us in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman was prophesied to come. And he came. That all gets lost in, in millions of years of time because in millions of years of time it's saying, well, I just believe in natural things. You know, we just can only believe in the natural and what we see, Really? You see, the primary doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the gospel. It is a primary doctrine. But it can't be a primary doctrine unless creation is a primary doctrine. And unless the story and the history of man is a primary doctrine, why would Jesus come in the first place? If there wasn't a problem to solve. 
That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.45, some have believed whether they were, whether they're Christians or not. Some have believed that the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest philosophers and thinkers of all time. Well, guess what Paul believed? He says, so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. He believed in Adam. He believed in the first man that God created. And he said he was a living soul. But the last Adam was made a quickening spirit, speaking of Jesus. The last Adam being a, a, a life-giving spirit. You see, if we can't give answers concerning the biblical origin of man and related to the conditions that man faces today, how are we going to lead fallen man, as we were at one time, by the way, to the truth that there is a Savior who was prophesied from those earliest of days to come and to die for the sins of man and to pay the penalty with his own body and his own blood? We have to give answers. And sometimes the answers will have to take us back to the very beginning. Not prehistory, but to the beginning of history itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paul said in Romans 5, 12 through 15, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin? And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was a figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also as the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. If we can believe that there was an Adam, if we can believe that God created things the way he did, we can believe that Jesus Christ has come for us. Lastly, Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Sounds like today, doesn't it? But it sounds exactly like the life we lived before we came to Jesus. But Paul says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Are we ready to give answers to every man according to the hope that lies within us? Because you see, the hope that lies within us does not only just involve Jesus and everything else is just fuzzy. Well, we don't know. Maybe it was millions of years. No, no, no. We have, to, we have to think biblically. We have to think with a biblical perspective. Because if things didn't happen in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and all the way through 11, if things didn't happen like that, then why should we believe that Jesus died for us? But then again, why should we have the guilt that we have because of the sin that's in us? Because God built it into us. He created us in his image. We're not like the animals of this world. We may have some similarities. Man is called a mammal, right? But there's other mammals. There's similarities. But it all stops where we have voice, where we have intellect, where we have thinking, where we can have processes of of thinking, and, and all. 
That's why the Planet of the Apes is kind of an interesting kind of a view of an evolutionary thing, isn't it? That's Hollywood. What if? Folks, the way the world is going today, we can't talk about what ifs. We have to talk about what is. God is. And he's in control. And we need to know him. And he's made himself available to know through Jesus Christ. You don't know Jesus? Come to Jesus today. Get to know the one who created you. 